0: Father, we, we come before you this morning uh, humbled, humbled that we can um, meet with you in any time, in any space, um, in this kind of way that you are faithful to show up. And so Lord, uh, I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, that your word this morning might change us, might transform us, uh, might make us as individuals, as a community, as a faith family, More and more like your son. So we submit to you. We surrender all of this. Jesus is for you and about you. It's in your name we ask all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, again, good morning. Um, If you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11 is where we'll be uh, this morning. If you're just peering in and you're new, this is what we do here at the Parks Church. We're preaching through uh, the book of Acts. Even in this online format, we are just walking verse by verse through Acts. And so we'll finish. Uh, Acts 11 this morning, and while you're finding your Bibles, maybe for some of you are, are flipping there just as way of announcement uh, this week on Wednesday, we sent an email out to uh, those who are uh, active attenders here at the Parks Church, um, letting you know some of the details about us gathering in person again, which is going to, Lord willing, happen Uh, May 31st. So please check your email if you're unaware of that. Uh, Check our updates as we'll continue to give you information uh, that way as well, and make sure that you select a worship time uh, for us. All right, Acts chapter 11, we're going to be in verse 19 all the way through the end, which is verse 30. So let's read the Word of God. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, so we're going to walk uh, verse by verse through this, and uh, this is a- an incredible picture of a church. There are two primary uh, churches, if you will, um, during this time. And what we see here is the start of a major, one of these primary churches, uh, the church of Antioch. So the other one would be the church in Jerusalem that's referenced in this as well. But I want us to look specifically at what's laid out here in Acts chapter 11 about this, this beautiful place known as the church in Antioch. Uh, Antioch was a a, a massive metropolis uh, in this day and age. About 300 miles north of Jerusalem, it uh, was kind of this cultural and trade hub where you would find all kinds of people who passed through it. However, uh, Antioch was a a, a very uh, idolatrous city. Uh, it was a very pagan city where the, you would find the worship of so many gods: Zeus, Diana, Artemis. All these things. Uh, many scholars say that this was the quintessential uh, Gentile city. This cosmopolitan area. And this is important because if you'll remember last week in verse 18, that it said that the, the gospel has now went forth to the Gentiles. And so this being a quintessential Gentile city, and yes, there, there were Jews there, as we'll, we'll talk about here in a second, um, we, we have to ask the question, is verse 18 really true? Does the gospel go forth to uh, all the Gentiles? Can the gospel make inroads to To these people? And the answer is yes. John Stott, a commentator on Acts, says this there is no more appropriate place that could be imagined either as the venue for the first international church or as the springboard for the worldwide Christian mission. That's what we find here at the church at Antioch, that this church is going to be Paul's hub for his missionary journeys. It's going to be kind of home base as he gets sent uh, throughout the world. And honestly, as we just read in Acts chapter 11, and as we'll break this down, this church should be a model for every Bible-believing, Jesus-loving church uh, around the world. This is something we should, as the Parks Church in our community, even model ourselves after. And so, w- what's their secret? Why Why is this? Why did this become uh, such a, a powerhouse of a church? And I think uh, Luke tells us things specifically so that we're not mistaken to think that it was about programs, to use some modern language. It wasn't about programs, it wasn't uh, about stellar preaching, or it wasn't about amazing worship music. All of those are, are, are good things, but there was something different that made this church beautiful and powerful and pivotal in this place, in this season uh, for the Lord. And so the first thing I need to say just right out of the gate is found in verse 21 and verse 23a, that it is the hand of God upon Upon this place. Luke makes no mistake about it that it's the hand of God, it's the grace of God at work at the church, in the church of Antioch. However, the Christian life in the church is not passive. Right, We don't just go, okay, well, it's it's just the hand of God, it's just the grace of God, and we just sit back and we just kind of watch how that that works itself out. The way in which the hand of God works itself out, the way in which grace works itself out, the way in which the Spirit of God works itself out in the life of the church is not by passive people, but it's by grace-empowered people. That the hand of God, that the grace of God, that the Spirit of God, if you will, is the necessary fuel In the engine of the church, in the engine of the church for beautiful, hard, God-glorifying work. This is something that D.A. Carson famously calls grace-driven effort. We are driven by grace to do great things for and in the kingdom of God. So what set this church apart? Luke breaks it down. Let's break it down uh, this morning. The first thing in verses 19 through 21 is this idea of grace-driven effort evangelism, right? It says right out of the gate that they spoke or they shared the gospel predominantly with Jews. They said, wait, wait, Kyle, you just said this was, was a largely, you know, the quintessential Gentile area. Yes, but there were Jews, and so when, when Luke lays out here that they predominantly went to Jews, it's because they went first, and this just makes sense, to those who had a context or a, 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 the familiar language with that of a Messiah or that of a, a coming Christ. And so they shared the gospel with those who had this context first. That would be the Jews. But look, next it says, verse 20, But... So now it transitions to, there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. Now, Hellenists could be viewed as as two groups of people. One, Greek-speaking Jews, which it means, but most scholars believe the word Hellenist here is a statement about uh, the culture meaning these Greco-Romans, these Greek-speaking uh, Gentiles who, who 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 would have been in this area. The gospel is now going to them, and that's why the word but, this transition from the gospel goes to the Jews, and now it's going to uh, the Gentiles as well. And, and, and absolutely, this blows the categories um, that were set up by, by Peter prior and by these believing Jews from, from last week. And so what I want us to see here is that the mission in the word of God is going out, the The gospel is going forth, and it supersedes this this culture. The gospel is a transcultural phenomenon. It speaks to every culture at every point at every time. And the gospel, as we see here, reaches into places that have no framework for what they're talking about. That's what this transition is. That's why the word but is used here. And and, and, in our culture, let's bring it to, to where we are today, our culture is getting this way. Even here in middle America, in the Midwest, you can see this very clearly on the coast, but it's even here. This past week, I, heard, I was in conversation with two different people where they were sharing stories like this where, where people have no framework of the gospel. They have no framework for, for the things of Christ and the saving redemptive power that comes through him right? People, people will look at you with that confused puppy dog face, right? Or, or, or look at you like you're from Mars when you're explaining this. And listen, I don't tell you that to dishearten you. I tell us that to encourage us to say, listen, in those places, that's where the gospel thrives, Right? Oftentimes what we have to do is we have to deconstruct and reframe when there's this pre, preconceived idea or these presuppositions about the gospel. But in the place where people have no preconceived ideas, we get to share the fresh word of God for the first time. That should encourage us. That should, that should inspire us because that is the place, again, where the gospel thrives. And, and look at what they were preaching. And this tells us something about who they were preaching to at the end of verse 20. It says that they were preaching the Lord Jesus. Now, to mainly a Jewish audience, what you'll notice is that they preach the, the Lord Jesus Christ, right? This word Christ is a title, and they point back to the Old Testament and they say, listen, Jesus is the prophesied Messiah. He is the one who has come as God's son and deliverer for us. But to mainly a, Jew, a Gentile audience without any preconceived idea, what they are preaching is the Lord Jesus. They are sharing that the gospel is about the lordship, right? The supremacy of Christ ruling and reigning in our lives. And this is absolutely a subversive message to this culture in Antioch. This is something that flies absolutely counter in this pluralistic society that worships so many different gods. These believers come in and go, no, there's one Lord and his name is Jesus. Uh, Many scholars believe actually that the early Christians were called atheists they were called atheists because they were accused of 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 worshiping only one god and the surrounding culture looked at them and said hey we're a multi-god nation we we worship many gods but because they were so the early christians were so exclusive they called them atheists right this is defying the cultural narrative this is subverting that narrative or that stream you see, this is what we're doing when we gather like we do, when we worship like we do, when we pray, when we open the scriptures, when we practice the spiritual disciplines, when we, we, we radically sacrifice for one another or for our community. We are subverting the cultural script handed to us by, by the, the time in which we live. We're going, no, 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 there's only one God. There's only one way, and that is the way of Jesus, right? Not, not my money. Not my kids, not my marriage, not my comfort, my preference, my security, not, not power, not career, not sports, not self, right? Listen, we don't, we don't worship the God of Zeus or the, the, the goddess of, uh, of Diana or any of these other uh, Roman Greek gods. What we're guilty of is worshiping the God of, of self. And what we do in subverting this by declaring that Jesus is Lord, it's going, I'm not Lord. He's Lord. There's one king, and his name is Jesus. And and so we see this playing out here in Antioch by the believers, this subversive message that is taking root. There was this grace-driven evangelism. And something I want to point out really here quickly before we get to our first question is this, that the church in Antioch was not started by some well-known church planter. It was not started by even a prophet or an apostle. It was planted and started by ordinary people who just went out and told the gospel story. They went out and they told and exemplified how to follow the way of Jesus. It's, it's amazing. It's this organic, from the, the, the grassroots up, story of redemption embodied in a group of people. Tim Keller on on this group in Antioch calls them mavericks, right? Unknown mavericks. John Stott, again back to him, he calls them daring souls. That these were the first group going into a non-Jewish culture with the gospel to see the power of God transform it. It is a radical move by this unknown group. You see, what we've fallen into, especially in Christian circles, is this idea of celebrity status. Guys and gals who we revere and respect for all the right reasons. Sometimes we rely on, right? If if we could just hear from them, if we could just hear their voice and, and what they're doing, right? We could line up the best of the best. Guys and gals who we love, right? Who we only need to identify by their last name, right? Keller, Piper, Swindall, And listen, I, I love all of those guys. But listen, that's not what God calls us to. And for most of us, we're not even going to be remembered past the time right where where we're buried and gone. And listen, that's okay. You see if you ask me, hey, could we have week after week of those guys and those gals who are gifted and right and and, and, and speak the word of God with power and truth and beauty, or if we could have each and every one of us at the Parks Church. With gospel intentionality, go from here with the gospel on our lips and the gospel on our lives, day after day, scattered throughout our community. That's the one I'll take 10 out of 10 times. The community of God doing ordinary things with gospel intentionality. Listen, we don't know their names, but we know what they're part of. They're part of this grace-driven evangelism that is spreading, and it's a beautiful and good thing. So let's pause right here, and a question's going to come on the screen. Uh, You guys dialogue about it for just a second, and then we'll get back right into the text. All right, welcome back so let's get back into the text um and, and now we just saw gr- this idea of grace driven evangelism i want us to see what else is 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 dominant here in the church at antioch and it's this idea of of grace empowered uh discipleship discipleship something we are talking a lot about here and rightfully so at the parks church i want us to see how this plays itself out in antioch because i think it's it's really formative uh, for us and it's in in verses 22 it says this, the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, right? There's that other uh, powerhouse church in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch, all right? So here you have uh, this this very young church with a bunch of new believers and people are, are, are being saved day after day after day. It sounds exciting and it was exciting. It sounds awesome, but it had to be uh, very messy. Again, by and large, these are people who don't have any... Uh, context for what's taking place. They don't necessarily know how to set things up. They need to be uh, discipled. And so this young church wisely, uh, kind of what happens is, is it gets word back to Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, the church in Jerusalem sends a, a guy named uh, Barnabas. And Barnabas comes um not as this, this, you know, this old wise sage, but he comes really like uh, quality control, if you will, as 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 this mature believer who comes to kind of bring some quality control uh, to this church in Antioch, this growing church in Antioch, kind of to put up some some guardrails and some safeguards to say, ooh, uh, probably shouldn't be doing that, or, or you shouldn't be saying that anymore, or, or here's what you need to do. Um, and 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 just for again modern context, and even looking at the book of Hebrews, this is why uh, the book of Hebrews calls for pastors and elders. And shepherds to to lead flocks to lead churches right it's it's this idea of of us being given watch a giving watch over your souls to whom we'll give an account like accountability is key in discipleship for you and for me like someone who is not accountable, an unaccountable person is a very dangerous person. I don't care how awesome you think you are. The church in Antioch, what we see up front in discipleship is that Barnabas came to bring accountability. This is why covenant partnership is so important and why we stress it so much here at the Parks Church. We need, as part of our discipleship, accountability one to another. The second thing though I want us to see is that, that, that we need maturity, in grace empowered discipleship. Like we need mature believers to pour into us, to lead us, to 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 feed us, to help us understand the way of Jesus. Listen, we have lost this in our culture, right? We are all experts and we love to show that expertise off on Facebook. okay. Um, Tom Nichols, he actually wrote a book called The Death of Expertise. Um, here's what he says uh, about this. He says, some of this conflict in the public square is just so much predictable noise now amplified by the internet and social media. The internet gathers factoids and half-baked, I- half-baked ideas, and it then splays all that bad information and poor reasoning all over the electronic world. Imagine what the 1920s would have sounded like if every crank in every small town had its own radio station. Maybe it's not that people are any dumber or less willing to listen to experts than they were a hundred years ago. It's just that we can hear them all now. And listen, that was written a few years ago. We're living that in real time right now, right? In this this day of a, a global pandemic, we feel this, we sense this, we read this, right? We are all experts because of the access we have to information and the speed in which information travels. However, a gospel impulse in the life of a disciple is that we need people around us, not just for accountability, but for wisdom's sake, their maturity. We need the wisdom of other believers, right? It is not a gospel impulse for us to go, listen, I don't need you. I don't need uh, your accountability. I don't need your maturity around me. I- I'm not listening to you because I can teach myself. That is not a gospel impulse. That is called pride. And the gospel is, is ridding us of that. The gospel humbles us. It teaches us to desire those things and those kind of people around our lives. Like, I need living examples to show me what it looks like through thick and thin to stay steadfast with Jesus all along the way. And this is what Barnabas is doing by coming into this very young church, right? This very on fire, but young church. He's bringing a level of maturity. But it's not just accountability. It's not just maturity that we need. It is also encouragement. Barnabas, right? Where does Barnabas come? Go back to Acts chapter four real quick. And it's in verse 36. It says, Thus, Joseph, that's his name, who was called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Okay, so Joseph was his name, but he got a nickname, Barnabas, because he was such an encourager, right? Like, I. First off, that is not my nickname, okay? I wish it were. I I long for it to be. But his name was Bar, son of, his nickname, Bar, son of, Naba, encouragement. He comes into Antioch. And again, we said these are new believers. I'm sure it's kind of a a mess. And what does it say in verse 23? It says that he sees in this church, not how messy it is, not what they're saying that's wrong. He sees the grace of God. That Barnabas comes in, and yeah, there are all these things happening. But he goes, here's what I see upon you. I see the grace of God moving and stirring. I see people coming to faith, right? He encourages them. You see, without encouragement, belonging and thus discipleship will wither And die. I think what made Barnabas so well received amongst this community and this church and and why it grew so quickly was because Barnabas came with this heart of an encourager to encourage them in the right direction and encourage them even in the way that they shouldn't go. Listen, as we go into this new season for us uh, of of gathering, as we begin to assimilate back into in-person gatherings and really striving to follow Jesus as he has called us. Like we need this kind of heart and attitude. Not pointing out little, every little issue or preference or what you don't like or what you, you wish we had. We need the heart of Barnabas, the attitude of Barnabas, that we need to be gracious toward each other as we journey towards Jesus together. And so many of you are like this in our faith family, and I just want to say thank you. This idea of speaking life and this idea of speaking graciously and encouraging, you have no idea how far and how much it strengthens this community and the people of this church. Oh God, give us the kind of heart and voice and words like Barnabas had in Antioch. And it says what he, what he told them. It says that he exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. As we go into this this new season for us as a church, right? Transitioning from one to another. Listen, our exhortation is the same. Let's remain faithful to the Lord with a clear and steadfast purpose that he might be glorified. That's what should be on our lips and in our life. So they had encouragement, they had maturity, they had accountability as they they were discipled, but they also had instruction. Verse 25, it talks about Barnabas realizing that, that maybe he had a little bit of a, of a shortfall or that the church was just growing so rapidly that he couldn't do everything on his own. It says that he sent for Saul, who's, who's Paul, right? And it says that they taught them, that in their discipleship there was instruction. Paul, Barnabas realizes, and really he puts Paul or Saul in the front seat ahead of him and says, listen, you're the teacher, give them instruction, we'll instruct together. But they did this consistently and faithfully for a year. They taught the word of God. And listen, I don't think that this was just on Sunday morning gatherings. I think that this was throughout the week. Day after day, they taught one another. They, they lived and learned with one another. Listen, Barnabas most likely was a very successful businessman in Jerusalem, right? Right? He's not a seminary grad. He's not a, he's not a rabbi. He, he was a businessman in Jerusalem who left Jerusalem to come to Antioch to put his life on pause and pour into them right? We need this model of faithfulness, a model of commitment, a model of people who will hang in there and do the hard things. I'm sure not every day in Antioch for Barnabas was beautiful and great and just flowers and and, and cupcakes, right? I bet it was very hard, but he did not run away at the first sign of difficulty or, or first rub against his preference, right? He was committed. Again, I just For the Parks Church, I want to say thank you to so many of you who have this kind of attitude and commitment toward your local faith family. And if you don't, I pray that this would stir you up to that kind of commitment. And so listen, this means that Barnabas gave up certain things to instruct them and to teach them and to walk with them and be discipled, but also be the discipler. Listen, we're going to have to give up certain things as we're truly in community together in deep relationship there are things that i have to that you have to lay down for the sake of other brothers and sisters in christ and let me tell you that's not going to fly for some of you but i pray as we peer into this church that became a powerful and beautiful sending church that we would pick up some of these things that they picked up as disciples and so here's i want us to pause and question two really quickly and i want you to dialogue wherever you are think about this about which one of those things do you naturally run away from? Because we all do. Some of these things we naturally reject. Dialogue about that for a second, then we'll, we'll close this down really quickly. All right, so let's wrap this up uh we'll be in in the, the last point here will be found in verses 26 the second half all the way through the end and it's this idea of grace empowered fruit what we see uh is not just uh evangelism in Antioch. We don't just see discipleship, but we see the resulting. Um, the result is this idea of, of fruit, and not just numeric. And I won't even go there, even though we know that's taking place here in Antioch. But what we see here at the end of verse 26, and in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. And so so get this, they weren't called Christians because they called themselves Christians. This is what the outsiders, those peering in, looking at them, looking at their lives, hearing their message, that's what they called them, right? The the word Christian even could have been a derogatory term used by the culture and people around them. They peered in and they said, oh, your message, the way you live, the, the way you act, the things that you do, It's all, you're just a bunch of little Christ. That's what Christian means, that little Christ. So they were beautifully indicted for embodying what we all should. And so when the outside world looked into the church of Antioch, they saw them as little Christ, that they followed the way of Jesus faithfully, obediently, and beautifully. Like, may the watching world say that about us as people of the Parks Church as people of part of the church, right? I, I don't wanna be a lame, religious version of the culture. But unfortunately, by and large, that's what the church has become. I'm not saying about us individually, I'm saying that more broadly. God, help us to follow you in such a way where people would look in and the thing that they see is you clearly. And the last thing, the last fruit, is this in, in the end it says so the disciples determined based upon this this prophecy and the point here is not the prophecy uh, from from this prophet it's the response to the prophecy so even before this famine that is prophesied happens what is the response from the church in Antioch check this it said that everyone according to his ability sent relief to the brothers living in Judea so A resulting fruit of of evangelism and discipleship and walking the way of Jesus is this, that they lived with their lives, everything they had, open-handed, generous. This is one of the most beautiful things I see in this passage, that the gospel impulse in them was not just to grow in their discipleship, but it was to grow in their generosity, right? Those two are inseparably linked. And so this is the church at Antioch. This church is amazing. This church is is filled with the grace of God, with the hand of God being upon it. And I pray that these same things, as we grow in this season and the seasons to come, might be true of us as the Parks Church, that we see Antioch and we see men like, like Barnabas in this story and that our hearts are drawn to be more faithful and in love with Jesus and follow him with everything that we are. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we submit this word to you. Only you can do the excavation of our hearts. So do it. Rid from us individually and corporately the things that stand in your way, in our way from drawing close and following and pursuing the way of Jesus. God, I thank you for this community. I thank you for the flashes and the clear pictures and the similarities we see at the parks and we see from the church at Antioch. Oh Lord, align us more with your spirit for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. love you all, see you soon.